0: This is Base Layer brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. This is David and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Mike Dunworth from Wire with us today. Wire was started in 2013 and Mike and his team would be considered Crypto OG is as, you know, one year in crypto, as we now know, is 10 years in in human life. So that's now 60 years of experience. Wire uses proprietary blockchain technology to complete cross-border payments, cutting the time and expenses traditionally tied to banks and other financial institutions. It's really interesting. While banks take up to three days and charge between four to six percent for international money transfers... Wire completes those transactions in less than six hours, according to them charging less than 1%. So this is something really interesting. Um, As I said, again, they have been at this for a long time. So we talked about how they're doing that, the methodologies around that and the implications around that and what they can obviously look to be doing in the future. Um, We talked about liquidity because uh, as it relates to liquidity, um, it does affect their business. So, You know, as the Bitwise report came out about the different exchanges and which ones to take a look at. You know, the difference between centralized exchanges and DEXs. We talked about OTC markets. And then we talked about the relationship with AirSwap. So traders are able to exchange fiat currency, and that's USD, pound, euro, etc. for cryptocurrencies like Ethereum. And so we talked about that, and we talked about um, stable coins and things like DAI. Really, all-encompassing conversation and one that you'll learn a lot from. So remember, nothing on Base Layer is investment advice. Please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear the conversation with Mike. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. We have Mike with Wire. How you doing, Mike?
1: Hey, thanks very much for having me.
0: This is going to be great because Mike and his team over there are what we consider OGs in crypto land. When you start in around 2011, 2012, 2013, that gives you a special kind of air in this world, the stratosphere, if you will. You know, as I've said before, we had Zaki uh, from Cosmos on a few weeks ago, and we talked about one year in crypto equals 10 years in crypto. So Mike and his team over there are relative elderly statesman of the crypto universe and so we're gonna have a great conversation about what they're doing over there this is super interesting in terms of how you actually get more usability and adoption and how we're actually starting to use cryptocurrencies and so mike if you could entertain us just a little bit about yourself your past and how and why you uh you got involved and started this whole kind of journey
1: yeah no well uh uh, super excited to be here, and thanks very much again for the time. Appreciate it. Um, we, yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm Australian. If you didn't notice my accent, uh, moved over in San Francisco in 2013. Uh, used to work at a financial software company, um, and when I came over here, met my co-founder, living in a hacker house, and. Um, And that was sort of you know i came over here as sort of actors go to hollywood nerds go to san francisco kind of vibe um it seemed to make the most sense most opportunity and yeah i wanted to do a startup i'd done one in sydney before and the goal was to try and do something really meaningful on you know the big stage essentially so got on a one-way ticket, moved to San Francisco in 2013. And, um, yeah, you're not wrong, by the way, about those years. It feels, I compare it to dog years. You know, one year in crypto is like uh, the equivalent of how a dog ages, where it's, a, you know, the seven to one ratio. So, yeah, I'm I'm turning uh, very gray head very quickly since 2013.
0: <laughs> um and, you know, so I've been at this for like four years now, so I guess I'm turning 30 even though I just turned 40 in real life, so I guess I'll take, I'll take crypto years over, over real life. Um when my knees weren't hurting and my back, wasn't hurting when I wake up in the morning. And so one of the things we like to do on the show with guests is not the when Bitcoin, you know, everyone talks about the origin story. Everyone says, oh, I was reading the paper, you know, and the sun was coming up and I had this epiphany and blah, blah, blah. We, I like to really focus on what about it? What about Bitcoin? What about the kind of notion of blockchain? What about it really said to you, okay, this is where I'm going to put my I'm going to stake my my claim here. This is where I'm going to, you know, spend the next 10, 15, 20 infinity amount of time for my career. What about the technology? What about the actual, you know, kind of the core of it? Really made you said this is where I have to go.
1: Look, I mean, I I think our answer is probably like or my answer is probably going to be a little different, but it's just as important. Like, you know, there is the technology, but the whole other component of it is the social aspect of it. You know, this kind of anti-establishment, the users are in control and there's no central point of a central point of control and whatnot. Um, you know, obviously was interested in it um, you know, pretty early on, more just the, you know, recreational uh, you know, looking at the space and, as a technology. But my my co-founder and I actually we launched our product, which was sort of like a a one-click checkout for shopping carts on as like a Chrome extension, right? And we added Bitcoin just as a novelty option. And we were like, oh, that'd be kind of cool if you could spend Bitcoins on, you know, Newegg.com, Amazon, and, you know, Walmart and Best Buy and all this stuff. And literally in 24 hours, it was 99% of all of our customers were just flooding in from the Bitcoin community, the, you know, Reddit, our Bitcoin And, um, and it it was just nonstop since then we were just like, wow, I've never, ever, ever seen anything like this. And that is probably the most attractive thing to me, which was, there are so many people that are rallying behind this and trying to encourage awareness and education and stuff. And I was like, that's awesome. Like that camaraderie and obviously look, everyone's, you know, the, the space has evolved, but that kind of camaraderie into encouraging adoption and awareness and education, I mean, it's hard to bet against that. So we literally tripled down on it from that moment on, which was, you know, t- two days after we launched the company with a completely different intention.
0: Wow. So now that we speed up and we have iterations like Lolly, which I don't know if you know Alex and his team, but we've had them on the show. And Al, you know, Lolly has created a plug working with a 750 retailers that effectively when you buy – new khakis, or a new dress from Bloomingdale's or shirts from Gap, or if you buy a new bed from Casper, it allows you to effectively get a reward in Bitcoin. And so what you were doing back then was allowing people who had Bitcoin already to actually make purchases with it, which now we see this whole kind of announcement with Gemini and Fluxa, how mm-hmm. they're you know working on that. So you were at the front end of this. You were doing this before everyone else was starting to do this. So that's 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 a revelation in itself um and you know we need to learn from people who are doing it first and foremost because you guys have the perspective and so talk to us about wire what what is it what does it do give us the kind of the 101s here and then we're going to dig into some more the intrinsic uh, kind of the intrinsic of what it does and how it does it and how you guys are how you guys are doing it
1: sure so i mean look the, the nuts and bolts of it is Fiat and crypto are really challenging to connect together for any developer or any person trying to enter the space. And what we wanted to do is we've always basically we've always wanted to bridge that gap. So over our you know over the arc of our story since we started, you know trying and failing and iterating on products uh, has been a long part of you know the discovery process. It's a brand new technology, which people, we don't even know if it's gonna succeed or not. And then you multiply that kind of risk with startup execution risk. So we've always had to be agile, which has forced us to basically, you know, uh, discover different product lines. But over that whole, the one common theme was fear to crypto is really, really difficult. And and so what we end up solve, solving ourselves was building out this infrastructure getting regulatory licenses, understanding that whole gambit. And, you know, what we thought the best thing we could do as uh, contributors to Bitcoin is basically give that to every person that wants to build anything so that they can go to market in two days and, you know, not two years and $2 million. So basically wrapping up all our battle scars and putting it into an API so that essentially they can come along and with a few API endpoints, they can take money from a user's bank account and credit it to their multi-sig Bitcoin wallet or their cold storage or whatever they want. Um, we're we're agnostic as a team. Um, we just want to give everyone the tools to build as fast and as aggressively as possible so that we can make some cool stuff happen.
0: So let's get into the nuts and bolts. So why are users' proprietary blockchain technology to complete cross-border payments cutting the time and expenses traditionally tied to banks and other financial institutions this is coming from you guys so while banks up banks take up to about three days and charge between four and six percent for international money transfers and we can all agree that that's egregious at this point why are complete transactions in less than six hours charging less than one percent how the heck are you doing that and talk to us about kind of the details the nitty-gritty there so What chain? Is it your own blockchain? What chain are you using? How are you getting that speed? How are you getting that kind of propagation? How are you guys doing that?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, so if you look at the current way people do stuff, if I send you money, let's say I'm sending money to a Chinese supplier. I'm going to put in their Swift credentials into my bank and do an international wire. Now, the bank, by default, is going to gouge you on the pricing, so they're going to give you a terrible exchange rate, and they get to charge a, you know, a forty-five dollar wire fee. Um, but people, people look at that and they're like, "Oh, I'm only getting charged forty-five dollars." But there's a huge amount of spread baked into the rate. So, you know, if it's meant to be, uh, let's say, ninety USD to every one euro, you might actually be getting. I don't know, maybe eighty USD to every euro. So if you're if you're making these conversions, the exchange rate kind of hides a lot of what you're actually paying. And when you transfer money, that money is in flight. If it takes seventy two hours to show up at your supplier's doorstep, he's not going to, you know, he or she is going to want to get paid before they ship anything to you, right? That's fair to say. Yep. Yeah. So, hey, I'm going to put the money, I'm going to put the, you bought a bunch of televisions from me. I'm going to put all these televisions on a boat the moment the money shows up in my bank account. No worries. Thank you very much. Now, the money shows up three days later in their bank account. This is a really big problem because if you have a a supply chain cycle, right, if you're selling TVs that you buy, you import them from, let's say, China and you sell them at market up you take the profits and you're recycling that capital you can put your capital to work only so much as the speed of the transfer so if every bank transfer takes 3 days then you're going to be in you know have a lot of problems because you're always going to be waiting the thing with bitcoin and you mentioned like what chain do we use we use bitcoin for the 99.99% of it because it's the most liquid and it's the most secure so When you give me money, you can pay me locally. I can convert that into Bitcoin and shoot it across the pond to China. Or now it's a different story in China, but you know what I mean? I can send it instantly like I'm sending an email and I can convert those funds into their local currency. So we just chopped out the three days, which means I don't need to be Western Union holding a huge amount of capital in foreign countries just so i can you know pay out people on time we've got like i mean literally our whole team when we started you know we're just enthusiasts about the space we're not from western union we're not from paypal or anything like that we just saw the tech and we saw the opportunity and that's where how we put it to work so basically because you are giving because you're paying me locally we can transfer that as fast as we can do essentially a bitcoin confirmation so our constraints are going to be whatever the blockchain confirmation is, and that's obviously with Bitcoin, it's going to be roughly 10 minutes. Um, that's our constraint. So when you compare that to the SWIFT network, which is three days, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty awesome deal. And there's, you know, there's a lot of value to add there.
0: So I'm going to be, I'm curious. So on top of layer one, obviously, the traditional Bitcoin blockchain, on layer two, could you, are you playing with, or are you adapting with to Lightning, which would obviously allow you to set up uh, state channels?
1: Yeah, well, Lightning, okay. We're, Matt, like, I mean, I can't, t- we're always trying to to use whatever tools are out there. And really, like, obviously, without being, you know, the term in Lightning, I think, is being reckless. Um, yeah, we, 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 would, we did trial payments from uh, our U.S. office to our China office at the time really early on um, in Lightning. And that was, I think we were in the f- sort of first 400 nodes uh, running on mainnet, and, and that's awesome. And we, we're such, like, we just want to be trying things and really try to give feedback um, so that, you know, if there's problems with things or our input could help make the product better or the technology better, then it's, you know, it's great to, great to get that back. But essentially lightning is going to make everything much faster and it's got its work cut out for it. But, um, yeah, you can, you can crunch that 10 minutes down to <laughs> way less than 10 minutes using it. Um, but you know, obviously you want, you want to make sure beyond everything that, that everything is being done securely and, you know, lightning is awesome, but it's still very early on and it's very early days and there is no rush. You know, Bitcoin is offering an exceptional value add to the, the target customer. So someone who's waiting three days and you tell them, Hey, it's going to be, uh, you know, under six hours guaranteed. That's amazing um and so we don't need to rush it for the sake of rushing it um it's better to you know let's get the tech right so that everyone can use it in years to come and we don't just sort of turn it into a dumpster fire that had a lot of a lot of promise
0: i agreed and just so people understand when we're talking about lightning is a layer two kind of on top of bitcoin so in a hypothetical mike is over there in, in san francisco i'm here in new york and we know each other we've we've actually already kind of given each other you know bitcoin back and forth a few times you know mike might have you know something that i purchase on a regular basis and so it allows us to set up a channel basically where, you know, instead of having to do all of those processes over again and then waiting for the confirmations, et cetera, et cetera, it basically just says, oh, you already know each other, boom, done. It, it just, the, the promise of that, you know, kind of for, you know, even when you're talking about supply and logistics, that could be pretty massive. So there are lots of things on top of Bitcoin um, that are obviously trying to speed up the process there. But if we could, so. I want to talk more about the integration. So if we're talking about adoption and we're talking about the average Joe and Jane out there, you know, kind of starting to use this, um, how does someone directly onboard, you know, if I have a Wells Fargo account and, you know, they just got shut down for two days and this happened a few months ago where I couldn't access my... My cash from an ATM, or I can. Oh,
1: I remember that. Did you have a Wells account during that?
0: No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> sure. I'm sure. using I'm using them for a specific reason, though. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, if you had a Wells account and that happened, and you were like, you know what, now is the time where I'm going to start really kind of investigating different opportunities could someone actually start to integrate with you directly or how does it work? How does an integration with someone's bank account or a company's bank account work with WIRE?
1: Yeah. So we we have an interface. We have a dashboard where just like your bank account, you go and log in and you can see your transaction history. Um, We have that same availability to our partners. So whether that is a crypto exchange that's using our API or it's a a retail business trying to pay a manufacturer abroad, they can log in and, it, it, I mean, essentially, it's just like a bank account. You get your own account and routing number. We give that to you so that it's simplified use, uh, you know, in the future, but you can exchange, you know, between multiple different currencies um, and, you know, you create, you know, you're saved just like you were talking about with lightning, right? If you send someone to, you're constantly paying the same supplier. It's almost like a contact list in a sense with, uh, you know, the the nodes or the, the channels that you're connected with. Um, but yeah, we basically you log in and you deposit funds into your account and then it's you, you don't have to withdraw them ever really, because you can spend and transact from it. And we've got all the accounting stuff set up for people. So, um, yeah, we just tried to make it as as simplified as possible. People don't see Bitcoin where, unless they want to, right? So if you're if you're a supplier paying someone internationally, and you're you know Ted's Fireworks Company from Idaho, you don't know what Bitcoin is, but you know what four to six percent savings is, and you know what getting your supplier paid in the same day can do for your business. So we abstracted all of that away. For the retail types that don't know about bitcoin and um we actually were really fortunate we sold it to that whole like that component of the business we actually sold it to world first last year um and world first is sort of like a a a more incumbent version of what we built but they were uh, able to sort of scale that a bit more aggressively than than what we were doing and allowed us to focus you know, triple down on our API because we felt that, that that would be more successful for the ecosystem if we were giving that out. Sorry, I know that was a really long winded answer by the way, mate.
0: No, that was a good answer. Um, as it relates to liquidity and you know, we, we've seen some reporting over the last few months, the Bitwise report obviously showing that, you know, ninety up ninety about ninety percent or more of the liquidity on these centralized exchanges are not necessarily valid, you know, as it relates to liquidity and it relates to the business and to wire, you know, what are you guys, you know, seeing in terms of the best liquidity? Are you in, are you in agreement that there's maybe about 10 of these exchanges on the centralized side that are really, you know, top flight? Are you, you know, kind of looking at some of the DEXs out there? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah,
1: well, I mean, like when you're looking for liquidity, right, especially in the majors, like let's say Bitcoin, that's the one that obviously it's very liquid. And that's going to be the more liquid anything is, obviously, the tighter the spreads, the tighter the margin, the tighter the slippage. Um, So so for us, we we always assess counterparty risk, just like, you know, just like you're talking about with the the real the real 10, so to speak. You know, a lot of these exchanges, they look good, they smell good, they've got all this stuff, but they're like the poison apple. If you if you don't tread carefully, you're going to lose, uh, you, you, you're going to basically put your, your company at risk or uh, the assets that you're trading at risk. Um, you know, sometimes there's an exchange a couple of years ago and our team that was doing trading at the time, they were telling me, hey, we've got to open up, an account on this exchange and add it to the liquidity and I was like why and they're like well they've got a huge margin they've got about one and a half percent arbitrage we're idiots for not doing it and I was like well take a look and let me know who the founders are where they're located and what a photo of inside their office looks like and um and I'll give you you if you if you can come back with that in 48 hours I will will 100% do it and it turns out that it was very challenging to find that information, but challenging with good reason, six months later that exchange gets closed down or, you know, like seized by the government and one of those kind of, it becomes one of those stories in crypto um, about exchanges getting hacked or cracked down on. So like, I mean, it's really, really, really detrimental that people tread carefully. Like there's misleading pricing is one thing, but you know, uh, security policies, recovery policies. I mean, it's going to happen and the stakes are only going to get larger and larger and larger. So, you know, we always want to be trying to encourage people to make sure they're doing homework and not just kind of rushing for some, you know, quick arbitrage opportunity, especially if they're operating, you know, a company that has clients, uh, that are holding, you know, exchange execution for, um, you know, for other API, like API partners. Um, yeah, you've got to be really, you've got to really have your wits about you. So that's why we have to do security audits and we have to do these compliance audits and financial audits, all that kind of stuff. And I know, like, we've talked about this earlier, but like, you know, aging in dog years, it's because fintech is largely reg tech. And the challenge is not building cool products with the tech. The challenge is, all right, Who's going to take one for the team and go through the grind of doing all the dirty, like all the dirty heavy lifting stuff. So, you know, a lot of that comes down to regulatory, uh, you know, regulatory work. Um, And so we try and basically chop that off from people, but it's, it's actually look, people are going to hate me for saying this, but it's, it's a very healthy thing because it forces accountability and it forces recourse. So, right now right we're licensed in you know in states around north america when you go to get licensed you have to post a surety bond for the state so let's say it's california california will review our application and they'll say all right how many users are you going to have and how much balances from californians are you going to have okay cool well if you're going to have 100 million dollars then we want at least 20 million dollars guaranteed in the event that you know everything blows up the you know the we've already got 20 percent of the funds in an insurance policy so um i don't know if you're familiar with that but i find that really interesting and that's actually a a bit of a saving grace in a sense um because some of the international markets they don't have that and it's like you know it's a goose chase trying to find who's stolen the funds or where they've gone and all that kind of stuff so yeah, for what it's worth, that's the silver lining to a trickier situation for teens to navigate.
0: I did not know that, and it's interesting because a lot of people always start saying, "Well, you know, crypto is not FDIC insured," blah blah blah, yeah. and so that's always been a kickback. And so I did not know that you have to kind of do that step by step. I knew about money, you know, money transfer licenses, um, yeah. but I did not know that the the hurdle was at that percentage. How do you? Just delving into that. So,
1: a bit. so when you go, that's like part of the tick box, right? So it's like, oh, have you had a compliance order? Tick. Have you got surety bonds in place? Tick. Uh, you know, it's one of the requirements um, in the application process on a state by state basis. And each state, I mean, not every single state specifically, but the it varies from state to state, generally speaking. So it's not like you know, uniform across the board. Some states may require more than other states um, in terms of the surety bond. Crazy, right?
0: It is. I didn't know that. I didn't know that aspect of the business. And so as it relates to, I see a relationship with AirSwap. Um, And so for folks out there that might not know AirSwap, you know, maybe it would be great for that, you know, just to give a kind of a quick one-on-one on what AirSwap is. But having traders, you know, the ability to exchange fiat currencies, so USD, uh, pound, euro, and a few others for ETH. Um, And so I saw, we talked a lot about Bitcoin, so it sounds like having the exchange to ETH is something that AirSwap is working on. I'm just curious about the relationship there. What you guys are doing with AirSwap, and you know, obviously for the listeners, what is AirSwap, and you know, kind of the uh, the the exchange to ETH and not not necessarily Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, we're going to have people build a lot of different products and need a lot of different products, and so you know, it's not on. Everyone wants to pick their horses of what's going to be the biggest, baddest coin, you know, the heavyweight champion at the end of the day. But I think the most important thing now is, you know, is to not pick sides and just give the tooling to see who can be the most successful in, you know, with various currencies. So, um, that's sort of just a tidbit, but you know the the Ethereum the Ethereum ecosystem is is extremely exciting, and there's a lot of things that people can learn from it. Um, yeah, the AirSwap team. AirSwap's basically, you know, we talked about counterparty risk with trading exchanges and things like that that I just talked about. AirSwap is a decentralized exchange, so what that means is instead of you know logging into your Let's say your Hwerby account and trading, uh, you know, trading on there where they own the keys. AirSwap's like a P 2 P marketplace essentially, where people can come together and trade from my wallet directly to your wallet, which is really good because obviously that alleviates counterparty risk. And what is likely to be the most uh, the most uh, challenging point. To gain more and more users into the space is people that are susceptible to hacks and get hacked from you know exchanges that carry counterparty risk. So basically, you know, AirSwap is going to make, I mean, that's what they're doing at the moment, making P two P trading really, really simple with a wide variety of assets. Where we come in to try and support AirSwap is, you know, we've got multiple assets in fiat currencies. And we've got a few assets on our platform for cryptocurrencies but you know as time goes by when you know when the market erupts in the next sort of bull run giving giving them the biggest net possible to service the widest variety of use cases is really important and so that's why we'd like we would want them having as much availability to their customers um, to cater for as many use cases as possible because, you know, this space is just absolute hysteria. We've been through two bull runs and two crypto winters and it is, I mean, there is nothing like it really. It's like the equivalent of a gold rush or, you know, I don't think the internet had this much craziness to be honest because it is so cyclical and, and that's the thing when, when when you get a chance in the quiet markets, which is, you know, what we are now compared to say like 2017, when you get that downtime, it's a blessing. Um, and so as long as you've got, you know, food on the table, money in the bank, and you, you've conserved your capital responsibly, it's a perfect time to build. Um, yes. So, uh, sorry, again, that was sort of long winded, but I wanted to give context. Yeah, the AirSwap team building really cool stuff, and we're you know we're a really big supporter of the decentralized exchange. Uh, you know that whole whole opportunity there. Like I said, we don't want people losing their money. The uh, the industry slows down. We all get a black eye when someone's exchange gets hacked, and we all rising tide lifts all boats situation when really good things happen. So um, just being conscious that it's a really you know, it's a team effort as a community, really. To think, think that mentality, like have that mentality in it,
0: in what you're doing. I agree, so, and we've we've seen iterations. Obviously, we've seen things happen over the last you know few months. The negative headline risks with Quadriga, and then obviously the Binance hack over the last few weeks. So I agree with you. You know it, and I also agree. You said something really, really poignant that you know during this time when you know we called a crypto winter, when the market was not going parabolic, and when people were kind of fleeing from it because they were not focused on the price. Where most people know that they shouldn't focus on the price; they should be focusing on what's being built. And so you're right. You know, a lot of great things were being built over the last few quarters, and we've seen platforms go live over the last few weeks and last few months that are really starting to come out and start to show things. And this whole DeFi movement has come out, the open finance movement has come out, and so mm-hmm. lots of things have happened. So you know, as we're wrapping. You know, some of the things that we also like to do with our guests is get a little bit more from them on a personal side. Not necessarily, you know, religious or political views, but more about kind of what you read and what you're listening to. Music, to me, is a very good tell of a person's personality. There have been people on the show that listen to ambient music and classical music and words predominantly without words, music without words. And then there have been people on the show that listen to death metal. And so, you know, it shows different kind of skews of people's personality. So music is something that we always like to ask people what they're listening to. And then reading. And and as you know, because you've been at this for a long time, you know, folks in this industry are very well read. And it can be everything from behavioral economics to computer science to psychology and all sorts of other different things in the way. Doesn't necessarily have to be crypto related but would love to know what you're reading either for work to learn or for fun.
1: Um good questions. Uh well, I mean music if I'm working, which I'm always trying to work, but I'm I get really distracted really easy. So um the most repetitive sounding music possible helps me uh helps me uh, avoid the noise. Um but that said, I mean I go from you know Wu Tang to Drake to Kendrick Lamar into some orchestral uh, you know violin solo. I've got the weirdest mix ever. Like it's just stuff I like. It it's kind of like if you made a sandwich and you're like, oh, I like cheese. I like barbecue sauce. I like hot chips and I like lasagna. And you just <laughs> squish it all together. And it's like, well, sure, you like all those things. Um, But most people would sort of be like, what the hell? Yeah, that's my playlist. It's, you know, classical music, uh, like opera, um, rap, uh, like Wu-Tang and Eminem, whatever. And then uh, very repetitive sort of not trance music. I suppose, yeah, trance music. Um, (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah, it'd be trance music. And and in terms of what I'm reading, I go through these waves of like, uh, so, like for me personally, right, a lot of people read stuff and they get it really quickly. That is not me. I have to read something a hundred times and ask people ninety-nine times to explain it again. Um, but for me, I know that you know over the past twelve months, I've been down. Well, most recently, actually, past three months or six months, been down the rabbit hole really aggressively on Bitcoin mining and uh you know the the technology behind it how it operates um and more like a the circuit layer and not sort of how the algorithm works but obviously um more on the real core premise of bitcoin mining proof of work and you know what these applications this like a- application specific i think it is uh, integrated circuits the asics what their job is and why they serve a purpose, because um, to me, it it largely doesn't really make sense. It didn't add up to me that it has not been more fragmented or decentralized or distributed, whatever term you want to give it. That didn't make sense to me. Um, And then, yeah, kind of had a few aha moments as to why. Um, But, yeah, that's what I've been reading about. Um, And too much... Too much crypto Twitter. Uh, but I love it. I love it. People are so damn smart in this space. I, I feel blessed. As the village idiot, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. You get to watch these really intelligent people arguing back and forth about stuff. And then you get to see people throw memes in the middle of it. I mean,
0: that's
1: like that's like that's like my sandwich I was talking about before, the lasagna barbecue sauce, you know, yeah. <laughs> hamburger. Um, yeah that's a cool recipe and it it jives with me really well so I could read that all day and obviously read it
0: there are a lot of casting characters on crypto twitter for sure and it keeps you on your toes and uh it's, it's definitely a good place to find out what's happening and uh this has been great, and so lastly, for people that want to find out more about Wire, getting you know, kind of getting to use it, getting involved with it, you know, you can obviously you know give people a shout out where do they where should they go and where can they learn more about it?
1: Yeah, um, I mean at SendWire, S-E-N-D-W-Y-R-E. Um, yeah, that's on Twitter, um, blog sendwire dot com. Um, we were too cheap to buy wire.com because it was like 500 grand and we were like, Oh my God, no way. So people always call us SendWire. They're like, Oh, Hey, you guys are from SendWire," And I'm like,
0: eh, we're
1: actually just too cheap to pay $500,000 for a domain name. Um, yeah, it's just not sort of in our, in our DNA, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, you can check us out blog.sendwire.com. Um, or at Twitter, we're always hiring. So, um, Basically, if you or anyone that you know of is interested in the space uh, or is, you know, talented engineer or enthusiastic, uh, we want to talk to you. Um, many hands make light work, so we're trying to all, you know, find enthusiastic people to join the team and uh, and keep the party going.
0: Love it. And whoever owns Wire.com, I'm I'm, I'm going to say on this show right now. Give it up for less. This is not right. These people are trying to change the world and make things better. Stop doing what you're doing. $500,000 is egregious. Stop what you're doing and just give it back.
1: Um, and, it's a dead end. Even if we raised $100 million, like from investors, we still wouldn't do it. So he, he should just donate it to us, FYI.
0: <laughs> I agree donate it do the right thing you know who you are if you're listening anyway this has been great this is mike from wire got to check him out what they're doing is really trying to change things up and make uh, bitcoin and crypto much more accessible and you know making businesses much more easy and a lot of things on the supply and logistics side much easier to do check it out mike thanks for coming on hopefully we can have you on in a few months and check in and see how things are going and we'll be in talk soon take care
1: awesome thanks dave see you later
0: for more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on base layer, let us know subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca, at Arca, or myself, David Nage, at David JN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.